Are you ready to clear a new path? Are you ready to get vulnerable and lead with truth? Welcome to Clearing a New Path Podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Clearing a New Path Podcast is an invitation to listen and learn along with me on the road to building a more united, feminist, anti-oppressive rural Canada, one that genuinely embraces authenticity and is rooted in reconciliation. Each episode, we'll examine issues and look for collective solutions all outside of the city limits. Let's learn together, clearing a new path. Carrie Neal, co-chair of Social Justice Cooperative Newfoundland and Labrador, joins us to discuss the formation and work of the cooperative. The organization operates as a member-run, non-profit cooperative focused on social and environmental justice. They advocate for feminism, decolonization, and care for individuals, the land, and all living beings. The cooperative primarily consists of individual members, with a few organizations also involved. It prioritizes financial independence and relies on monthly donations from members and community supporters. The cooperative engages a wide range of activism, including disability justice, women's equality, indigenous activism, and many others. It emphasizes the importance of mutual aid and building relationships within the community. Carrie talks about how rural and remote communities, small communities of any kind, can begin the process of organizing. The first thing I'm going to ask is for you to tell us a little bit about what Social Justice Co-op is and how it got started. Yeah, so the uh, SJC has been around for about 10 years. We are a member-run nonprofit cooperative operating uh, mainly in Newfoundland, Labrador. We do a lot of like social and environmental justice. And, but it's a really interesting organization in that we are very member driven. So I would say like what we work on changes a lot, kind of like based on what folks are excited about and passionate and where the energy is. Um, But we try to kind of hold this like thorough vision that we call the revolution of care. And that's really kind of advocating for, um, you know, uh, feminism, decolonization, uh, you know, love and care for each other as individuals, for the land, uh, for all the flora and fauna um, that we share the land with, um, and trying to really connect a lot of different social justice movements in in kind of recognizing that, you know, capitalism is a big reason why we face so many injustices and trying to connect, uh, yeah, show people how they're all connected and how we need a movement based on kind of care to, you know, 
to take care of each other and to resist the the different types of oppression that we face. It has That's a tall order. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and and I should say we formally started about 10 years ago, um but really like our roots go back about 60 years here on the island. Um, it was kind of started in the 60s by uh, some professors at the university who got really into Oxfam and started an Oxfam NL chapter. And then in the um, 2000s, there were some issues with Oxfam um, not being allowed to be like political under Stephen Harper. And so the members kind of transitioned um, the funding that they had and uh, started a, a cooperative based on, you know, taking care of local movements, but also connecting it to kind of a global uh, understanding of what's happening. So how many members do you currently have and what sort of organizations, like what's the range of organizations that you have as members? Mostly we have individual members. We have 200, 250 right now. It's slowly growing. It is like a one-time membership. Um, so, you know, if you signed up 10 years ago, you, maybe you're not active, but you can still come to our EGM and vote. Um, and we just have one or two organizations that are members. Uh, when we first started, we actually, so the Oxfam NL chapter had a building which um, we rented out to a small business called Food for Thought that um, sold kind of bulk food, organic food, um, international foods, and the building. Uh, so they were a member, but then actually the building burned down. Um, so alas, yeah, we uh, <laughs> we don't have that anymore, unfortunately. So you're a virtual organization then, basically. Yeah, pretty much. We used to meet more in person. And then since the pandemic, we really moved online. And we found that it was like a lot more accessible. I mean, we try to balance in person and on online. Um, but we were very like St. John's focused when we were in person. And now kind of moving more online, we've been able to reach out to like other parts of the province more easily. Um, but we do like a big part of our work, I would say, is relationship building and the social aspect. So I think because it's easier to do that stuff in person, we are still very St. John's based. A lot of our members are there. Um, we do try to have like games nights or movie nights online occasionally um, to to build those relationships across the island uh, and the province. But um, yeah, it's we are definitely very more St. John's. Uh, feast and and so why a cooperative like why why was that model um <laughs> I got a so important keyboard. was that your cat that's amazing <laughs> awesome that happens a lot I mean I I had a dog and she used to bark during interviews all the time <laughs> it's okay it's totally cool um, yeah, why did we start as a co-op is a good question, um, because originally, like, we, uh, Oxfam was a, just a regular kind of non-profit, but when we transitioned, we did have one board member, uh, or founding member, who was, like, had a long history working in the cooperative movement here in the province, and he really believed in the democracy and transparency that cooperatives give to their members, 
Um, cooperatives are unique in that there are these like seven international cooperative principles that ideally every co-op like around the world is supposed to follow. And it is about like, um, yeah, democracy, one member, one vote. So no matter how many shares you have, everyone, you know, gets one vote at the AGM or special members meetings. Um, so people don't have kind of like over influence if they have more shares. Uh, but there's also a commitment to social justice and, you know, being transparent about the money and how it's used. Yeah. And yeah, it is, um, it kind of, I think, works better with our uh, values as a nonprofit that advocates for social justice. It allows us to, yeah, be democratic and uh, allow our members more ownership of, of what we're doing, which is... Is I it think, completely member or, like, is it completely member owned or do you do... Do you also get um, funding somewhere, other funding? We are primarily um, able to pay our staff through um, monthly donors. So we have yeah individuals, members, volunteers in the community, supporters who um, donate monthly, either from $5 to $250. That's like a huge part of our operational funding. And, and we really want to keep it that way because it allows us to be accountable to our members. And we have been critical of nonprofits that we see as like getting a lot of government funding and then not mm. criticizing the government in key moments. Sure. So we do occasionally, you know, get government fundings from different pots for like certain operations or events, but we're really wary of getting operational funding um, like long-term funding that would pay for permanent staff um, because, yeah, we we are, we want to kind of keep that independent and like loud, assertive voice. For sure. Um, I know this is a really simple, rudimentary question, but I'm going to ask it. What is social justice for folks that don't know or don't understand what that is? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, for me, I guess it's about, you know, advocating for everyone to be treated fairly and equally, that everyone has uh, basic human rights. And, and I think for me, like, maybe it's not defined as like, you know, what Canada defines as human rights, but like the right to housing and the right to food and clean air um, and a future. Um, you know, we, I, I really value that. Um, that thought that like, you know, we have to plan, take care of the world for the next like seven generations and, and thinking through how do we, um, how do we care for each other and, and make sure that no one is left behind, no one is disposable. And for us, like that looks like a lot of different things. I mean, right now we are doing, uh, we're supporting 10 City for Change, which is a, a movement of people who are ad, uh, protesting against the shelter system. Um, and so these are people who have been really hard done by life, like have been in prison or have had like mental health issues or disability issues and just like aren't getting cared for by government and um, really being abandoned, I would say, by our communities. But then we're also doing like free Palestine work um, and looking at how, yeah, this genocide is happening, um, you know, on the other side of the world. And, and how do we... Um, try and stop it. Um, so really like local to global. 
uh, perspectives. Uh, we do disability justice. We do um, women's equality um, support for the 2SLGBTQIA plus community. Um, Black empowerment, you know, indigenous activism, uh, migrant uh, solidarity. Yeah, we've, we protest against oil, but then we also protest against like mega renewable energy projects <laughs> because, you know, just because something is considered green doesn't actually mean that it's um, really good for our environment. Like Muskrat Falls was pretty notorious hydro dam here that we resisted. Um, yeah, uh, we advocate for the city of St. John's to clear the sidewalks so that people can, you know, walk around safely in the winter, um, and for better transit so that people don't have to depend on vehicles, um, or for those who can't, you know, drive a vehicle for whatever reason. Um, yeah, we have done a, a wide variety of things. We're trying to, yeah, work more with the union movement and, um, support unionization efforts and strikes that happen in the city um so basically (laughs) your fight you're kind of fighting for a post-capitalist post-colonial world canada or world basically right yeah i think um we we do a lot of struggles that are kind of short term and long term, and we are also trying to think through like, well, what does it look like to have a post colonial or post capital world? Uh, I would say a lot of that happens in our book club. We meet every two weeks and and read different like mostly nonfiction, but some fiction that helps us kind of imagine how we can work together differently, how we can imagine the future differently. Um, and then we try to put that into like real time. Like I would say the 10 city for change um, collective have been doing a lot of like mutual aid work, um, which we've talked about is like, yeah, really important for, you know, helping us feel safe and secure in a world um, that looks different. Cause I think people, you know, we like to think that the government is taking care of us. There are a lot of examples that they don't, but they do provide a safety net right now um so how do we kind of like resist individualism and realize that like we need to keep each other safe and uh, show up for each other and and that can make us safe so it's kind of a transitional time really right now would you say yeah Yeah. i mean there's no playbook for how you do this um but i would say in the past five years like we have grown a lot and I like I think we are building a more cohesive movement that's allowing us to like experiment more and kind of put more into practice. Like it definitely started where we were just like showing up at all the protests and, and doing what we can. And, and now we're trying to think like, OK, like, yeah, how does this look 10 years down the road? Um, what are we building towards? Yeah. So that's another question I had was how do you determine what you're going to do in a month, say? You know, like, how do you determine what protests you're going to organize or the book clubs that you're going to do and, and or what maybe um, National Day of Truth and Reconciliation or International Women's Day? You know, like what what are how do you determine all of those things? That's a good question. I would say a lot of it is really like member oriented. We have one staff um, who's designated as kind of our volunteer coordinator and they 
we we try to use a model where people come to us and they're like, I'm really excited about, you know, putting free menstrual per- uh, products in every bathroom, or I'm really concerned about Palestine and I want to organize a protest. And um, yeah, I really want to support 10 city and I need to buy people smokes. Like, how do we do that? Um, and yeah. so people come to us and we, we kind of have a, a guy, yeah, we try to support them and, you know, connecting them with other people who we might think are interested, promoting what they're doing, um, kind of explaining what we've done in the past and how it's worked or how it hasn't. And, and really kind of going from there. And we've definitely had a lot of things that like, there's a lot of passion about. And then, you know, the person leading that had to step away and, and that work kind of stopped. But then, you know, we try to keep an archive of what we've done. And I would say our staff person is kind of an archive of what we've done too. Um, and kind of like provides like a, a thorough line between all the organizing um, because yeah, like sometimes there's just really a lot of excitement about something for a minute and yeah. we want to connect how it um has worked in the past and and how to you know connect with people who were involved and then weren't but maybe interested in this action and yeah so we're very fluid i would say one of the things that you you mentioned is safety and i think people that might be new to protesting or supporting may not realize the resistance that is also growing. So there's support that's growing, but there's also resistance. Um, You know, a lot of people don't believe that capitalism should be dismantled. A lot of people believe that, uh, you know, colonialism isn't even a thing. Um, And so how do you, how do you keep people safe? And, and, and what sort of things might people run into, especially in rural communities? Yeah, I think that is something that we're still talking about. I think there is kind of a safety in definitely in numbers. Um, And yeah, actually, we were talking about this at book club last night. Um, Because (laughs) yeah, is it safer to be a public figure? And so people feel like they know you. So if something happens to you, maybe they're more likely to kind of show up for you. Or is it safer to be more anonymous? And maybe if you are disruptive, you'll kind of get away with it um, because, you know, you hid your face and um, or, you know, it definitely happens. We see it online where people, you know, make a statement and then they get fired or uh, lose friends or get death threats. Um, I've lost a job and... um, different volunteer positions because of things that I've said online. Um, and I've had come people come into my place of work and get upset wow. at me. Um, I'm a very public person <laughs> in this small town. Yeah. Um, but I also like, I think there is kind of that safety in, in being a public presence because people kind of know who I am. So when I do need help, people show up. Um right. And I think those relationships that you build will keep you like will help keep you safe because, you know, if maybe if you lost a job, you've got a friend who can help you like get another job or let you stay on their couch if you got evicted or I think we kind of have to take care of our 
each other. Um, and it looks different in different ways, but yeah, we definitely support, like if someone is ever having to like move, you know, we reach out to our members and say like, Hey, can you show up for this person? Um, we've, I've had members like sleep on my couch or done grocery runs. We do have like a mutual aid fund where we like send people like $200 to pay rent or get some groceries. Um, and yeah, I guess try to remind ourselves that it's, um, I mean, we could be disposed of under capitalism for any reason at any time. If I got a disability, the government's not going to take care of me. My employer is not going to appreciate, like might fire me or, um, my landlord could evict me if I can't pay rent, if I had like a sudden issue come up. Um, and, and those things are going to happen whether I speak up or not. So the more you speak up and the more you take the time to create a, a community around you who shares your values and is going to show up for you, I think the more real safety that we have. That's amazing. And, and please explain um, in, in, to the best of your ability what mutual aid is for folks that don't understand what that is. Yeah, I would say mutual aid is just trying to show up for each other um, and taking care of people that you that are in the movement with you. Um, I think there's a lot of kind of individualism under capitalism. It's very like, you know, you only take care of yourself and maybe your immediate family. But I think that makes us more insecure, really, because, you know, if anything happens, you only have a small network of people to really rely on. And I think the more we take care of each other, there is a, a reciprocity, I guess, expected. Maybe not like as an immediate thing, but it is, I guess, yeah, there's a hope that, yeah, as we take care of each other, we'll, we'll receive that care in return. And... It's about, yeah, relationship building and, um, yeah, that friendship, I think, is, is an important part of it as well. I think a lot of people just feel, like, really lonely under capitalism. And, you know, you hear about all these issues and you're like, what could I do? Everything is awful. Um, and <laughs> I find a lot of comfort in just, like, having friends who recognize that there are issues and, and share my values. And um, even if... I'm going to have a small impact as a person. It makes me just like feel better about my days <laughs> if I'm like trying to do something. Yeah. Well, and there is a financial component often to mutual aid, right? And so that is having a pot that you share whoever needs it at the time. Uh, you know, you all put into it when you can, when, when you're kind of, you know, have a little bit more disposable income and then when someone needs it or you need it, then it's there. Is that right? Is it the way it works? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we see a lot of mutual aid with like GoFundMes for different yeah. reasons, I would say. Um, and the SGC does have like a, a small pot that we've used to just kind of send people money, like really no questions asked. Like we don't ask for receipts about how you used it. It's just like someone comes to us and says like, yeah, um, I need some support. We we kind of just trust in that. Um. Because, yeah, I think living in the society where everything is financialized, it's, yeah, money is, is an important part of, of taking care of each other, unfortunately. 
Yeah. Um, what about growth? Meaning, how have you gained supporters? Like, how do you do that? But also, I mean, the time that we're living in, I think a lot more people are becoming awake, are learning since the pandemic, and so are doing inner healing, inner work, and then, you know, determining, okay, what's next? What? How do I step out into the world and make a difference? I guess that's a lot of questions. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what about the supporters first? Like, how have you grown? Yeah, I do think we have grown, uh, especially in the past five years. It's, it is hard to measure because people kind of come and go. But a lot of the times I do see like folks who are involved in the SJC, you know, maybe they start something of their own or they join another organization and we are still all kind of connected to the same movement. And I think that's really important. Um, we, I mean, I would say our, our big success is that we kind of just show up where the people are. Like we're not kind of top down saying like this year we're really focused on water yeah, or, of course, you know, yes we if there's a protest we'll try to get there <laughs> and you know we'll reach out to the organizers and say like how can we help um so we're we're very fluid and um trying to as you know as movements kind of come and go pick up people and and grow larger and um help them stay connected in, in what we're doing and in what's happening in their community So, yeah, I think I think showing up for others is is an important part of it um, and not just only going to your, you know, the things that you organize, but being a part of an active part of your community and, and meeting other people. Because really the way we see it is like there are so many things that are wrong in our society and yeah. there's not just one silver bullet and people are going to have different passions and interests and skills and we want to support all of that. So, yeah, how do we just kind of try and connect the movements? And so that, you know, the people who are advocating for better transit understand how their um, work is linked to the people who are, like, advocating against the genocide um, and who are, you know, advocating for land back and, and how all these are, are linked. Having that, a vision. That, I think that that's pretty amazing. Having a vision like that to to drawing the lines between all of the um, the causes. I shouldn't say causes. All of the important things that are going on in the world that you support and or protest against. Um, and and those things continue to grow, like we were saying. And and it's like a whack a mole of <laughs> yeah. oh, what's next. And so let me ask you this: How do you take care of yourselves. I mean, you talk about mutual aid and I think that one of the, the most important things about it is you can be so fueled and so driven that it's difficult to take care of yourself. So how do you build that in to your organization and to your causes, the things you're supporting? It is, um, challenging to you know take care of yourself especially I mean everyone is I think overworked and underpaid 
Uh, I think that's a big barrier into like how people get involved in the first place. But I mean, for me, I think I get a lot of fuel from the community and the friendships and relationships that I've built and trying to really make a point to prioritize those relationships, I think is important because, you know, it's not just that your comrades, you, you do become friends. And um, so, you know, when someone says like, a, yeah, a friend asks you to come to an event, maybe you're more likely to want to show up for them. And, um, and we utilize the community in those ways too. Like there's uh, a really great organization here called First Light. They do a um, a music festival every year we always try to like show up for the big dance party mm-hmm. um like we do uh you know a couple of years ago we did a cancel canada day which we transitioned to like a land back day where mm-hmm. we just kind of come together on july 1st um and hang out in the park and maybe there's some speeches there's lots of food we always try to have food at events <laughs> of course um, you know yeah, exactly. I can yeah. only see you from the nose up now. Oh, for some reason. I see my cat. There we go. Green. There we go. <laughs> Kitty on the loose. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, we were talking about the, the things that the ways that you take care of yourself and and be with others. Take care of each other, I guess, is is it really isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, we try to say it's okay to rest and to step away and to take that time. Like we try not to treat each other as transactions and, you know, oh, I got 10 people at this meeting. You know, it's okay if there's four people there and you had a really in-depth conversation. Um, We start every meeting with like a check-in circle where we kind of talk about like, you know, how are you? How are you feeling coming into the meeting? How's your capacity? Um, and definitely like, there's no shame if, you know, you're just, you didn't do the task that you said you were going to do. Um, we try to just kind of, we try not to move with a sense of urgency, um, because what we're doing is hard work and it is slow work and it's easy to get kind of flustered. I think if you feel like, you know, everything is an emergency because it does feel like everything is an emergency, (laughs) but we're also, we're a small movement and we're up against like big um, forces. So we also had to be kind of kind to each other and to ourselves. What about um, you yourself? So you, how long have you been involved and what would you have done differently if you started over? Yeah, I guess I have been an activist. I mean, easy for like 10, 15 years. I think, you know, as a teenager, I first got involved in like Amnesty International um, chapter that was here. And then the more kind of I learned, um, I I shifted and tried a lot of different um, routes. I I was part of like a feminist action collective. Um, I ran for the NDP. I, um, yeah, I've definitely put my toes into a lot of places and I, I, I definitely encourage that, um, to, to just get involved somewhere and, and, you know, feel free to move around. Um, and I, I actually first got hired by the SJC like six years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I was like the first staff member. And originally we were going to do actually a, a democracy campaign about like, how do we improve democracy in Canada? Like, do we change the electoral reform or financial spending and that kind of thing? And we had a town hall with our members and our members were like, we don't care about democracy. Like we care about climate change and Muskrat Falls. And like, that's where the, like the focus should be. And, you know, kudos to the board. They really listened to that. And, um, you know, decided to do more an environmental justice focus. And we, you know, we started reaching out to folks who are already doing things. Like there was a small Fridays for Future St. John's chapter, and there were some like indigenous activists doing anti-pipeline work. And, um, and I think kind of from there, that's when we started taking that kind of decentralized model of like, okay, who are, who's already doing things or who has ex- like excitement about things and, and how can we show up? How do we, you know, make sure that they have a megaphone or mm-hmm. help them, you know, book a venue because we are very familiar with every venue in the city. Um, <laughs> how do we help them find like someone else who might be interested in, and spread their message? And and so then it kind of broadened to to where we are now with like kind of the social and environmental justice lens. I I don't want to assume. I I, I guess I have, and and that is on me that you have very diverse members. That you have representation um, of you know all different genders, all different cultures, all different skin colors. Um, is that the case? We, we are kind of diverse. I will say, I think it's a lot of, um, university educated white women (laughs) who are, um, involved, but we are absolutely like doing our best to, to be more diverse. And, um, a lot of that is like partnering with other organizations and collectives to kind of amplify a lot of different voices. Yeah. Um, and what about advice for, and, and I'm going to like paint a picture of someone in a remote, very white town in rural Quebec or rural New Brunswick or rural British Columbia that would really like to begin activism. They know that they want to do something, but they don't know if anyone else feels the same way. And they don't have a network of people um, within their own community. How would you suggest they get started? Hmm. Uh, I might be biased, but I I think a book club <laughs> is a great way to start. I run okay. our, our book club at the SJC, but it's just a kind of a way to you know to learn together and to discuss. And so you know you can pick out books that you think might be pushing the norm the status quo and and see who will show up um either in person or online i also definitely just kind of recommend volunteering in your community if there is a cause nearby that you think could you could kind of vibe with and and meet people who are also you know active and want to help you know look for the helpers i think is is a good place to start yeah. And I mean, there are a lot of organizations that are doing online stuff now. 
So it's it can be kind of easy to tap into it. I would say, you know, you can Google the issue that you're interested in in your province and kind of see who's out there. And the more you talk to people, the more I think you will learn who's interested and and who's doing what and how things could be different. And yeah, maybe you'll be inspired to start your own collective or you'll find one that kind of matches your values. What about the person that is on the fence? Um, so they d- did perhaps, you know, watch documentaries during the pandemic and they've started reading, um, doing inner work, doing healing work, um, examining biases. And now they are kind of on the fence because there's that discomfort, right? Of putting yourself out there what would you say to them? I absolutely encourage everyone to start volunteering um, in person if possible, just a little bit, because I think it's really inspiring seeing what other people are doing. Like that's one thing with the SJC is I am so inspired by what everyone (laughs) has accomplished and the impact that they're having and the care that they're showing for each other. And I think, I think there are benefits to online activism, but it can be really um, toxic too. like the things that people say to you and the way they try to shut you down. I can make it really hard to, to kind of keep having that voice, but you don't really get that when you're in person organizing, like if you show up to a shelter um, or uh, a library or whatever is in yeah. your community, you know, you see just how people are just showing up and taking care of each other and the the joy that they have. And personally, like I just feel better about myself knowing that I'm the kind of person who is like, helping other people (laughs) I do get a lot of just like self-satisfaction over like this is the kind of person that I want to be and I want to be remembered at is is like someone who showed up and and cared um because you know we only have one life and you know you could spend it um just kind of alone watching tv and I don't know I just I feel better about myself just when I said that I was going to be there at 10 a.m. to help them move, I showed up and I did it and and they appreciated it. And maybe they fed me a sandwich and we took some time to check in with each other. And um, yeah, just being active in your community, I think. Yeah, is is good for my soul. <laughs> I think that's a fantastic place to end. Um, but I want to ask you if there's anything else that you'd like to say. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you'd like to talk about? Yes. You did ask okay. at one point if there's anything I would do different, and I didn't answer yes. that question. Um, and there is. Uh, the SJC, uh, we did have a treasurer who stole money from us over oh. two years. Okay. Uh, basically, like, bankrupt us. Oh, and. Wow. We, this was a person who showed up to every meeting, every event. We really believe, like, I, I still believe that they believed in the cause mm-hmm. um, and, you know, really benefited from the community and wanted to give back to the community. They did do a lot of work for the organization. 
but they also, we didn't have good financial oversight and they were a person that was like in poverty. And I think they kind of started taking a little bit of money kind of with the, you know, the plan to repay it. And then I think it kind of snowballed. Uh, mm. They ended up stealing like $60,000 from us over two years. Oh my goodness. And wow. we basically only found out because like we were, we got to a place where we like couldn't pay bills and we were like, what happened? Um, and so I would say uh, strong financial oversight is really important. Like you do, I think it's important to trust each other, but it's also good to hold each other accountable and and I think that's just part of good organizing um, is to have that transparency and to really be careful with the donations that people gave you. Um, because, yeah, I don't think we showed care to that treasurer by not having good financial oversight because now they're in a position where they feel all the shame and they are being held yeah. accountable. We did decide not to go to the police and, at this time, and we're working on like a more transformative justice solution because we just didn't feel like it, it was with our values um, to yeah. use the, you know, colonial criminal court system. Um, right. But yeah, I think, I think it's important to have trust. I think people are like funny about money and like, it's like, they don't want to talk about it and it's true. Um, they don't want to criticize each other in organizing um, or make people feel uncomfortable with their questions, but you know, conflict is okay. And we also have to be like brave enough to be in conflict with each other, I think, um, and hold each other accountable too. Thank you for that. That That is some, thank you for being vulnerable about that because um, you're right. People don't like to talk about money. Um, they don't like to be authentic about things that happen that may not be perfect. Um, so I very much appreciate that decolonial way of um telling us about that. So I appreciate that a lot, Karen. Thank yeah. you so much for your time and um, all the best to you. Um, thank you for doing the work that you do. Uh, and I, I've really enjoyed hearing about your organization and all the work that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you for your work, spreading the, the good word of people who are trying to make a difference in their community. It's, uh, I think, media is really powerful and hearing from each other and, and the work that everyone is doing is so important to, to fueling us further. So I really appreciate that, what you're doing too, Shauna. You know what would really help me and this podcast keep going? Leaving us a four-star rating or even a review. I'd really appreciate that. To connect with other rural Canadian co-conspirators, Subscribe to the Clearing a New Path newsletter or drop me an email. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by the Hankering Studio. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, Luni Lenape, and Adirondwan peoples. The First Nations communities closest to the studio are. Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie, Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. We will speak to many people across Turtle Island, and as a settler, I'm committed to deepening my understanding of colonialism, dismantling other systems of oppression, 
my commitment to the TRC Calls to Action, and to reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth and to Spirit for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who I believe still walk the earth. Until next time, 